Hello everybody and welcome to this next episode of Into the Prey, Breaching the Chaos of the Church with Nick and Mary Franks. Welcome to Dave Brennan. This is our Wednesday session. We're looking today at clarifying Catholicism. Mary, do you want to quickly explain why we're doing this conversation today? Yes. So um, basically last week we were, we were talking, obviously as we have been over the last few weeks, talking a bit about uh, contraception, um, and which is obviously intimately linked with um, what we've previously been speaking about in terms of IVF and abortion. So, mm-hmm. And we, we just kind of had a couple of um, sort of thoughts around those within the church, the likes of um, Gavin Ashenden and others who have moved from basically evangelicalism over to the Catholic Church um, because of the clarity around that the Catholic Church has around issues um, such as contraception. Mm-hmm. Um, so really, we kind of loosely talked about it last week, but we wanted to dive into it a bit more just to to really be a bit more clear about why moving over to the Catholic Church isn't the answer mm-hmm. to these issues and really just dive into that a bit more and just give a bit more detail mm-hmm. rather than just kind of saying that, but really talking through it and thinking about why um, they may be right on some stuff, but why we, we're not all jumping over to become Catholics, basically. Yeah, and the lesser of two evils was the phrase that, that emerged from our conversation last week. I think that's very important. I'm not saying every thought that I have is very important. <laughs> I'm just saying that was a thought that I had last week and I felt that it was important. So we'll finish today's with by coming back to that. Um, flicking in between screens here, Dave, so we keep on losing you but you are still there how's how how is dave yeah very well thanks yeah very well just been uh down to cornwall uh doing some teaching on a a camp down there on abortion and, and that kind of thing uh which was a joy a home education camp so sharing with some of the young people and uh yeah we're back home just getting back into the swing of things which is yeah much needed actually the little ones after a while they just need their own bed and a normal routine and yeah, you know, Tent. less fun, frankly, less fun. Get, <laughs> get, get spoiled by it. <laughs> Camping and tents have their limits, don't they? Um, yeah, that's right. I'm a, I'm a bit like uh, Romish Ranganathan in that sense. I, li- I like uh, I like hotels rather than tents, but anyway, <laughs> don't don't uh, don't quote me on that. Well, I'm going to go through a list here. This is what we're talking about today: clarifying Catholicism. Let me go through it very very quickly. Um, to whet your appetite in terms of where we're going over the course of the next 45 minutes or so. Um, and then we'll try and tackle them. Just it is, a, it is a caveat to make the point that we can't go into any one of these things in any depth, but we've prayed and we'll trust that there'll be emphasis in the right places. So um, today, clarifying Catholicism. We're going to go through clarifying why we want to talk about that, um, clarifying the difference between Catholicism and Catholics, Clarifying theology, clarifying gospel ethics, clarifying the, the Catholic culture of evangelical methodology. Gosh, that's a long one. <laughs> clarifying why the lesser of two evils is not the approach, as I just mentioned. Clarifying the counterfeit spiritual reality um, behind Catholicism. Clarifying, these are, these are two important parts, clarifying why we depart and how we depart. And I would argue even just as I'm thinking about it now it's not even a question of when we depart it's not like we track with Catholicism or with you know mm-hmm. to a point mm-hmm. and then we don't we with from the get-go we 
we have done. <laughs> so in that sense, it's to say when do we depart? Do you know what I mean? It's um, anyway. Mm-hmm. I've probably already confused things, but um, and then I'll, I want to come to a conclusion that I just mentioned about the lesser of two evils. Um, so let me just start off by by just making this point, and I think it's an important point for maybe for those who listen to this podcast more because of the connection with Dave, Dave with yourself and Brefos, and that we we have these sessions every Wednesday focusing on abortion and related issues. This is mainly, uh, I hope that hasn't sounded um, patronising in any way, but to make the point that we we spend most of our time talking about the church, don't we? Mm-hmm. In that sense, we have two of our podcasts of the three every week and our focus is on the church and the one on Wednesdays is, is specific, very specific and niche is the wrong word, but you know what I mean? There's not loads of people talking about this. Um, but it's to make this point in terms of why we want to talk about Catholicism today in that our burden is for the unborn, otherwise we wouldn't be doing this, and that's where we all converge and have, have like-mindedness and so on. Um, but it's but that burden for the unborn, for abortion and related things, is from the burden for the church, um, which is ultimately a burden for Jesus. Ultimately, it's an expression of worship, isn't it? And it's important to say that because... Um, it might not be obvious. It might not be, you know, you can give your life to activism for, for any number of different important causes, but mm-hmm. it'd be fundamentally missing the point that it, this is to do with the glory of his name. So do you want to say something about clarifying? Um, Dave, you brought it up about the clarifying between Catholicism and Catholics, so perhaps it'd be easy for you just to chip in. Yeah, sure. So I, th- I think, um, I mean, this goes for, for anything. It definitely goes for evangelicalism and evangelicals yeah. that someone can have the label uh but they they may or may not adhere to the core tenets of what that thing actually is right so we're going to be talking that about that i think a bit later in terms of so-called evangelical culture and how it's far from evangelical in reality yeah mm. um and similarly um there are people who are catholics they'll call themselves catholics they may or may not adhere to some of the core tenets of Catholicism. And I, I think it's worth making the point that whilst we're going to be talking about where we disagree with Catholic doctrine and methodology and so on, um, I certainly n- believe that, well, many Catholics that I know are in fact born-again Christians, which 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 may mean by definition they're departing from <laughs> you know, core Catholic teaching. But anyway, just to say that that there are, as with anything, there's a range of people uh, with their own experiences and beliefs. But what we're really talking about here today is Catholicism mm-hmm. itself, yeah. uh, our, our issues with that. And yeah, and, and essentially why we, we not only can be, but must be strongly pro-life and thought through on these issues mm-hmm. um, as born again mm-hmm. followers of Jesus yeah. uh, and, and becoming a Roman Catholic is not, is not your, your only option if that's what you want to be. Though, though we understand, we really understand that temptation. And, and speaking personally, I went through a phase <laughs> where almost on a monthly basis, it, se- it seemed to be about every four weeks, don't know why that is. I was like, Nan, should we just become Catholics? Like, <laughs> I'm so sick of being part of this Christian culture where it's just there's just chaos yeah. on the doctrinal stuff, on the ethical stuff. It's a free for all, and the clarity of Roman Catholicism on these issues is attractive. Mm-hmm. Now, we didn't go down that route for reasons we're going to discuss, but mm-hmm. I know the temptation firsthand. It mm-hmm. would be a lot simpler in many ways. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to me straight away uh, that you use the word temptation mm. with that. And I would say that to Gavin Ashenden or Wan Whittacombe or Francis Chan. Uh, 
we want to touch on this in a moment, don't we? And I'm trying. This this is the thing with this conversation. I do. This is what's so good about having these podcasts together because it's very easy to talk. Mm-hmm. But in that sense, it makes being focused sometimes a little bit harder. So there are a number of different things um, we could focus on. You just mentioned there, Dave, that one of them being um, we just lost your video there for some reason. Your video kept on going on and off. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Where you'd, where you'd mentioned there about the caveat for those who are born again within... I, I would want to naturally talk about that. I would want to have a conversation about why why is that? Is this some kind of like calling to remain within the Catholic Church in the hope of reaching people, which is a very... We haven't got time, but I think that is an important conversation. And I think it's an important conversation for where we're at in, in church mm. history, not just because it's, it's interesting. Um, mm. Mm. But a temptation, nonetheless. I think it is a temptation mm. because of the spiritual dynamics. When we come to the, you, Dave just mentioned you there about the. I don't know what, how you put it, but let's let's talk about the theology. That's one of our uh, first points here. Clarifying theology, and I'll, shall I tee you up, Dave, or we can all just chip in? But it, it's essentially the, the, the these doctrinal theological areas are often compartmentalized, pigeonholed. For because of the denominational landscape of of the church. So, in other words, the moment you start talking about sola scriptura, for example, you are oh, you you've got a beard. You must be a reformed a reformed Christian. Somebody said to me quite recently, I was doing a podcast with, oh, you've got a beard. You must be reformed. And he was completely serious, <laughs> like hundred percent serious. You know, and I said, no, I just like beards. I just like my beard. It's, it doesn't mean anything. I've got no like. Post-it cue cards in here somewhere to remind me of the uh, solar feeder, etc. Now let's just talk about that briefly because, again, wide audience from various different parts. But these are important truths, regardless of whether or not you're a, Cal- a Calvinist. And we're not, you know, we're not thinking in those terms. You know, we may or may not agree with the five points of tulip, which is a Dave. Do you want to talk about tulip briefly, or do you want to go dive straight into the five solars? Yeah, I mean, there's any level of detail we could get to. I think, I think. Where, where it really comes down to, I think, and in my understanding, is that there are a few main areas where um, Protestant or Evangelical, Reformed, whichever we want to use, um, theology is very different from Roman Catholicism. And one is in the area of authority, right? So what is the highest authority? And this is where the so-called sola scriptura, you know, um, according to scripture alone or by scripture alone, um, that's where... Um, that comes into play because the the Roman Catholic view is that um, the the Word of God, as they put it, and it's, it gets confusing sometimes because we use the same words to talk about different things. Okay, but the way that the Roman Catholics will use the term Word of God is that's made up both of the Bible and of the teaching of the Church, so they can kind of combine together. But it, but ultimately, what's going on there? is the the institution of the church um, has the final say on interpretation and and kind of forms this ever-growing final body of interpretation and conclusions. So you you would hear Roman Catholics talk about the teaching of the church rather than what does the Bible say. Now, they would say there's there's no contradiction there, um, and they may believe that, but, but there is a fundamental difference between saying, I believe this because the church says so and saying, I believe this because this is what scripture itself says and, and scripture is its own interpreter. So that's, that's a major um, thing when it comes to, for example, ethics, but of course, when it comes to 
um, salvation and, and who who's considered to be a child of God and in the family. And again, on that, for the Roman Catholic, it's the church says who's in and who's out. Yeah. Um, the institution grants you membership and that goes hand in hand with you know whether or not you're considered to be a believer whereas the the the, the protestant evangelical reformed uh, view again is different that actually it's by it's by faith and, and salvation is granted mm-hmm. directly by the lord i want to just say there quickly that I don't, there are some things here that are respectable to a point and some that aren't i don't think it's i don't give any credence at all to that notion that there's no there's no from the catholic point of view there's no inconsistency i was doing some reading earlier today john wickliffe's time in the 14th century you know they referred to the pope as let me let me read it exactly our lord god the pope in the in wickliffe's time hence wickliffe being on the scene 100 and whatever years before the former the reformers that are more well known so it's important to know, isn't it, not just so much what the Pope and is well known for today, what it looks like in Rome today, but actually the roots of this, which is what we're partly talking about, is that the Pope was and is still today our Lord God, the Pope. In one sense, the less I say about that, the better. Let's talk about the five solas quickly. Um, so the five solas are... Uh, one of which we've just talked about, those sola scriptura, by scripture alone... Sola fide by faith alone, sola gratia by grace alone, solus Christus or solus Christo, that's obviously through Christ alone, and solo de gloria, glory to God alone. Now those five sodas or those five tenets, you know, the way that you put it, Dave, is it's important for, I think it's important for every Christian to understand that. We're not going to go into that now, we're just passing, but but that, as you've said, is where we depart. Anything you want to... We de- we depart from the Catholics who have a very fundamentally different view of Scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, hence the anecdote from Wycliffe's time I mentioned there. Yeah, and I think if you if you read into those even slightly, you can you can see the obvious um, discrepancies between the Catholic Church and Protestant understanding of Scripture, and even just the whole Catholic setup, the Pope, you know even how he's viewed, like you're saying, there's just this massive difference mm. um, that has often been undermined by, you know, certain type of thinking around it. Mm-hmm. But actually when you look at those five, it really, you know, you can go to the Bible and be like, those are there. Mm-hmm. But the, the the Catholic Church really departs from that. Yeah, well, that's the condensed work of the reformers, isn't yeah. it? Those five solas. So for people listening for whom this is a little bit new and bewildering, maybe just Google five solas and spend a bit of time. It's not it's not hard to understand. And I think, again, these are basic ABCs of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Um, just a quick little anecdote. I went to university in Twickenham in London that was a Catholic college. Now, I didn't go for any other reason than, to be honest, I, the course was good. I liked the campus. That's That that was it. But during my visit, the Pope actually visited the the, <laughs> the university, um, St. Mary's in Twickenham. It's a sports university. Um, but it was like, you know, as you would expect based on this, you know, there is this such a difference. It's like God was coming. Mm. There was this aura of... You know, everything stops. And um... I think like you're saying, though, as well, just we have this tendency to to not really look into history very much, like church history as a body. I think we 
we don't really do much about that in the church. And I think we actually end up in a really messy place because we have no understanding of how we've ended up where yeah. we are. So um, I remember reading a book a few years ago called um, Pagan Christianity. And of course, it's actually aimed at the Protestant church, but it's really helpful in understanding the route that we've come along and some of the stuff that we think is Protestant is actually hangovers from, you know, the Reformation moving away from the Catholic understanding, which in itself came from pagan roots, you know, mm. Constantine and all of that. So I think there's there's an element where we need to be more rigorous in just understanding church history mm-hmm. and that in and of itself will help us to to see the obvious need to just read the Bible and be really mm-hmm. just considered about why we believe things. Yeah. Again, again, it's 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 yeah, it's so basic, isn't it? Um, mm. Yeah. Let's let's talk about. I mean, we could talk about progressive liberalism here, and we won't for time. But suffice to say, I did a podcast on Sunday talking about one Corinthians eleven and had coverings and so on, and posing the question from uh, Hamlet's to be or not to be soliloquy uh, to progress or not to progress. So I answer that question. To the best of my ability there, if you want to go into progressive, progressive liberalism is is from the pit. Um, Dave, do you want to take the next one? Yeah, well, I think uh, one of the reasons that perhaps people aren't so aware of the of what Roman Catholicism is and where Reformed or Protestant faith is different, I think one reason for that is that nowadays um, a lot of evangelicals or Protestants um, actually behave in a much more Catholic way than than our forebears would without us realizing it. Um, and conversely, as I say, there are some who are Catholics, but actually their faith operates in a very evangelical way, you know, day to day. They, they, for, for some of them, they're, they're just reading the Bible and trying to do what it says. And, and they have a, their, their faith is very much a direct line to God and they're not going through, um, the priest and so on. So that, so practically speaking, there can be a lot more mixing and overlap. Um, however, the, the fundamental differences hold and they're important. And I think w- what I've noticed is especially over the last 18 months, but it's, it's, you know, it's been around for a long time is that amongst evangelicals in this country, we're actually very happy to delegate our thinking to human authorities. You know, we have our go-to um, Christian leaders who do the thinking for us. And as long as they give us the conclusion, <laughs> we don't need to read the small print. We don't need to see if they got that from the Bible or, right. or just from anything else. And I, and I see that again and again and again. And, and, you know, I'm not saying there's no place for, you know, shorthand to say, you know, mm-hmm. I agree with X, you know, that, that, that there can be a good place for that. But I, I know for a fact, because when I come back and ask them about it, um, they have very little to say that a lot of people are doing that instead of yeah. mm-hmm. searching the scriptures, instead of praying, mm-hmm. instead of seeking the Lord themselves. And so in that sense, we've got a lot of evangelicals acting in a much more uh, Catholic way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was actually the conclusion of my session on Sunday, Dave. That um, it, it, there, is, there again, there can be some respect given to folk who have got to work through formula or rationale for why they've come to a conclusion. My deep fear, though, is that that is very rare. Mm-hmm. Regardless of whether or not a, a contrary view is faithful to to the Bible or not, at least there's something there. You know, it's like yeah, mm-hmm. you've invested in it. It's like if you read Vicky Vicky Beeching's book and you got you know at the end of it you're like there's nothing there, 
there's nothing new that you've shown us. There's mm. nothing. There's nothing there. Um, so, like you say, Dave, like how much of that is the church at large? Things are just. I think that's a very good point. Um, okay. Well, the cultural aspect of things, um, we've covered that in part. Let's clarify this thing about the lesser of two evils at the end. Um, suffice to say, though, Matthew five twenty. For I tell you, Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So let's let's leap back round to that. Um, at the very end, one of the things that we've said at the beginning that we why we wanted to do this is to clarify. Um, part of the spiritual reality here. Now, this is why I think it was interesting you were talking about the temptation to this because I think it's a little bit like Islam. There are there are there are things about Islam as you look into the to the world of um Islam that is that is attractive. And mm-hmm. I'll give you one example. Um Muslims who take their faith seriously enough to pray and fast during Ramadan or even in extreme cases want to you know, I'm not. I'm not obviously condoning in any sense um, jihad, but I'm just saying that there is something admirable about a, a spiritual conviction that would lead somebody to mm. want to prefer something that they believe is coming in the afterlife as opposed to here and now. That's something that's admirable, you know. So um, there's temptations, I think, to these counterfeits that that is part of the spiritual dynamic um, of Satan. So. Does anybody want to say something about that just in terms of because we referred to the Christian ring of Catholicism last week and I think that is not necessarily an innocent uh, coincidental thing. Well, I th- just looking in on stuff but just observations when you look at Catholicism I often think there's um there's a structure to it in a way that you don't see I think, well, you certainly see less and less in kind of the evangelical church now. Mm. But there's a, there's a method, there's a structure, there's this is what you do, this is what you don't do. And I think for people who are trying to be serious about their faith, that is very appealing because ultimately mm. as people, as humans, we often want that sense of, in some sometimes it's just ease, but we, we like, a, like you were just saying about your children, like there's a structure that we find helpful, that we we can use as a way of, and some of it's just routine and empty, but I think there are aspects of it that actually can be very life-giving and people hold on to that. You know, it's an easy way to, in one sense, to, to walk your faith. If somebody says you just have to go to mass so many times and you have to do, mm-hmm. you have to conf- go to confession so many times, there's like a... Mm-hmm. There's a sense in which you can see the appeal of that because it's it's formulaic, and you know, I, I, personally, I can just see the the appeal of it. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you know, doing the work I do, wow, it'd be a lot easier in the Catholic Church if I just say, well, look, the, this is the teaching of the Church. The Pope says so. Get on board. <laughs> Whereas I have to do the harder work with evangelicals of proving to them from Scripture. And, and showing them that it's not enough just to be pro-life notionally, but we need to yeah. do something about it. And so so it, it's harder work. And in a sense, it's riskier. And I remember reading something about this, that the sort of the whole um, idea, in a sense, of the Reformation, it, there's a sense in which it's a huge risk. You're putting into the hands of, of the everyday man or woman, you, you need to appeal to their minds. You, they need to have a converted mind and heart individually. They need to be persuaded from scripture. They need to have faith. 
and they need to come to their own conclusions from scripture. Now that does open up, you could say, a, a kind of risk. People can come down to wrong conclusions, and there are times where I feel, goodness, this it feels chaotic. It feels like a free for all, and sometimes it is. Sometimes people abuse that mm. that freedom. Um, so there's a sense in which, yeah, an institution just sorting it all out for you is very, very attractive. However, this article I was reading, and I can't remember who who wrote it, they said the opposite risk is far, far worse. So the risk being each person has to be convinced in their own mind and so on. The opposite risk is you delegate your entire faith, thinking, mm-hmm. conscience mm-hmm. to an institution. And that risk is is perilous. Mm-hmm. And that... And that's when you actually look at it properly, that, that that's what you begin to realize is, is um, yes, in a sense, it's going to be easier, but you're kissing goodbye to uh, your, your own mind and conscience. So there is a risk to uh, allowing people to, to make their own judgments, that they have to be persuaded in their own minds, that people are essentially free to come to the wrong conclusion. Um, but the opposite uh, risk um, yeah. is that no one is using their own mind. No one's using their own conscience. They they subcontract all their thinking and faith to an institution. Mm-hmm. Um, and the danger of that, of course, is that it, it kind of encourages a nominalism, a personal detachment from mm-hmm. faith. And you you're you're kissing goodbye to yeah to to, to making your own conscientious decisions on things. So I, I really do get the attraction of an institution sorting it out mm-hmm. uh, for you. Um, but the but there are huge dangers attached to that as well because no institution is infallible in the way that the word of God itself is. Mm. I think one of the reasons why it's attractive is because it's counterfeit and therefore the devil doesn't care if you're a Catholic. And by that, what I mean is, you know, I can just imagine Screwtape and Wormwood having some really good conversation back and forth about, you know, get, getting a patient into that exact state of mind, you know, where it's like, you, you know, you've you signed your life over to the church, the Catholic church, and therefore, you know, as long as you go and confess and whatever else, happy days. Well, the devil doesn't care about that. He's going to leave you, as long as you're in that position, he's going to leave you alone. Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's the reality. And this is what mm-hmm. we're talking about here, isn't it? But the, the counterfeit spiritual reality behind the Christian ring of Catholicism um, it ultimately, it's the difference between picking up a cross and not. Um, yeah, and I, th- I think you know there is. I, g- I guess you can call it that sort of Pharisaical. You know, the the the, the whitewashed uh, tomb. You know, cleaning the outside of the cup. That, that you you can get that in any church. Um, you can get that in in evangelical churches. But I think there's something about Roman Catholicism as a system mm-hmm. that actually encourages that because it does have this focus on accept what we tell you mm-hmm. and do what we tell you and then we give you the sort of the the your aok mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. that i think so i think i think faithful adherence to roman catholicism actually leads you to a place of pharisaical um you know external mm-hmm. subcontracted mm-hmm. uh or sort of outsourced religion mm-hmm. um and that, and yeah, and that is a, a very dangerous thing, as you say. I, I think there's a, a quote from C.S. Lewis. Actually, it was in Mere Christianity. He, I, I, I love the way he finishes his chapters in Mere Christianity. He just, he absolutely just <laughs> thwacks you in the stomach mm-hmm. with his last sentence or two. It's just, it's amazing. And, and one of them was, it was just, he says it almost as a kind of, you know, an offhand closing statement, but it really packs a punch. He said something along the lines of. 
um, the uh, he, he talks about you know the, the sort of classic sinner. You know, we're talking about some you know the, in gospel terms, you know, in terms of the gospels, the 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 sinful woman, you know, the prostitute, whatever. Um, maybe far um, far closer to the kingdom of heaven, or further away from the gates of hell than your average smug religious yeah. hypocrite or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a system that actually encourages an emphasis on the external mm-hmm. and just doing what, you know, the tradition of the elders says is very dangerous spiritually. Wasn't it C.S. Lewis that said something like he'd rather be the prostitute at the back than, than the prig in the fourth row who's judging them? Yeah. That, yeah. I think that's the line I'm trying to remember. Yeah. It's along those lines. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. I mean, my understanding of true like Roman Catholicism goes hinges on one of the solar five solas that in order to enter heaven you need to like you're not saved by grace there's works there's always works Mm -hmm. and I think thinking about what we were saying at the beginning that ultimately it's about a burden for the glory of his name if you're if your position on anything is solely just because you believe that it's a that's what you do in order to be whatever Mm -hmm. it's it's where's the line where is your heart worshipful mm-hmm. is it yeah you know ultimately that's what it boils down to like why are you doing the things that you're doing mm-hmm. is it purely because you believe that that's what you need to do in order to be get you know to, to get into heaven or whatever your understanding is or mm-hmm. is it because you you really feel the weight of god's heart mm-hmm. over some of these issues and you want you yeah basically mm-hmm. the difference yeah yeah i think that's a really helpful thing to raise because it touches on this area we want to talk about i'm calling gospel ethics i'm not sure that's a particularly technical term but the question of why we care about right and wrong and why we hate evil and why we pursue mm-hmm. holy lives is really important the mm-hmm. question of why we do that is is, is so important yeah. it's everything isn't it yeah. mm-hmm. because if we're doing it to try and get right with god or to try and prove something mm-hmm. or even to try and save the world you know even if yeah. it's genuinely a loving thing but we're doing it um with with the wrong sense of who our savior is and what salvation is then it's it's totally lopsided and mm. again um the, the devil could be very happy even with a you know an an ardent pro-life activist so long as mm-hmm. he or she's doing it for the wrong reasons absolutely yeah. great great way to keep keep them busy mm-hmm. um as they carry on along the road to hell so yeah. we need to be really clear about that and what i see in scripture again and again you see this perhaps most clearly in the letters of the new testament but it's 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 throughout scripture is that the cross of Jesus is upheld not only as the um, the basis of our salvation that it's you know there's no there's no remission of sins without the shedding of blood and Jesus's blood shed for us is our salvation. Mm-hmm. But what happens really often in in the New Testament letters, is, especially as I say, is is the 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 thought then goes instantly to therefore that's how you should love one another. Therefore, that's how you should live lives of sacrifice. Mm-hmm. So the ethical implications of being sinners saved by grace through faith in Christ, it, that's how gospel ethics is formed in the New Testament. So we're not talking about changing our lives to become acceptable. Only the blood of Christ can make us mm-hmm. acceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, but because we love him and our old self has died and we've been raised to new life, mm-hmm. Uh, and, and because we actually believe that, you know, he is 
he is our everything, mm-hmm. it naturally follows. We want to go in his footsteps, mm-hmm. live like he lived and love like he loved. And and that's got to be the basis of mm-hmm. pro-life activism mm-hmm. or anything else. It, it comes directly out of yeah. what love is as revealed by Christ. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's so good. I mean, we had this conversation with two guys in Curry's the other day. Highly unlikely that they're listening, but if Stephen, if you're listening, greetings. <laughs> and we, we were talking there about the, the just the uniqueness of grace. It is uniquely mm. Christian. Stephen had made the point had you know that everything is just very similar, and it's just a question of choosing which way. And it's like no, the, the Christian yeah. gospel, Jesus Himself, that's why He was killed, is unique in in the claims that it makes and the claims that He made. Um, it's the difference between penance and voluntary love, I think. Mm. And mm. Um, obviously there's a slight grey area here because of what you said earlier, Dave, is true that there are some some people will know God and be saved in a Catholic context, but we're talking about the, the broad spec the broad landscape here. And it is the difference between penance and, and mm. voluntary mm. love. Mm. Yeah. Let's try and wrap up with, with time for this conclusion because I think this is really important. Um to come back to the lesser of two evils. Um, by the way, Dave, that gospel ethics sounds perfectly right to me in terms of a term for it. I think that's so mm. important. Um, mm. But the, uh, I, I just want to say this in passing before we conclude, which is I, from my personal experience, and maybe this is partly because I was in a, a university that was a Catholic university and um, I was in a Christian union involved in that, very much so my, my friendships you know, were in that context. Um, but of course there were other guys who were kind of Catholics and didn't, you know, and maybe all of that kind of breeds this thing of it. Well, it doesn't really matter. It's not, Mm. it's not that important, you know, and I, I think that's a lie. I really, I really, I think that's why we're doing this conversation. I think the whole thing of Catholicism, having the, the ring of Christianity, you know, following Jesus to it is, is insidious actually. I'm not using that word just lightly. I think it is insidious. Um, precisely because it's so similar. The angel of light that the devil masquerades as is by design. You know, it's not default. It's it's very much by design. Uh, and I think it follows that this this issue of Catholicism and, and why um, on this issue of contraception, we're not somehow appealing to Catholicism when it suits us. We're, what we're saying is it's it's counterfeit at the core um, and it does matter. It matters. It matters hugely. And I think, in the decades, the short decades ahead of where we are right now, I think it will become obvious, much more obvious. And not just about Catholicism, by the way. You know, Anglicanism, Evangelicalism generally. You know, whatever. You know, the, some of these things mm. matter. Well, I, I think this conversation is obviously pulling out the major flaws that are so obvious within even the Evangelical Church. And I think. Dave, what you were saying about we, the whole thing of once once you're able to read the Bible for yourself and, you know, it's our responsibility as followers of Christ to be really rigorous in our own thinking, in our own study, in our own reading. And it's just been a part of the church, the Protestant church over recent decades that has really failed you know Mm. so I I think this whole conversation is quite interesting because you can see where the Catholic Church is strong in some areas but completely theologically incorrect Mm. but then the evangelical church needs needs some of the elements 
of clarity that is mm. just completely lacking mm -hmm. and this this lazy thinking that just wants to say that your understanding your interpretation your view on something is part of the whole body when it shouldn't be mm -hmm. yeah in passing um just a thought that came to me as you were saying that is that when you talk about being a follower of christ you know that in itself sounds very catholic to me um, you know, when people talk about being a follower of Christ, I think there's, there's significance to Jesus' name when it comes to this difference between the the Catholics and um, evangelicalism. Or I hate even using that that term to make the distinction, but f let's let's use the terms faithful to Jesus and not faithful to Jesus. Is is you notice that Catholics often will talk about Christ rather than Jesus. That might sound like a small thing, but I've noticed that I had, a, I had a couple of Zoom calls relatively recently with some Catholics, and that struck me very much, you know, that just the mention of his name, um, and it was lacking. It was at, it was very obvious to me that it was lacking. You know, we're talking about G, we're talking about the Lord. You know? Anyway, that's just a passing thought for, well, another, for another If day. I can pick up on that, I think yeah. it, it, does, it does touch on an, a very important element, which is that in Roman Catholicism, the idea of... Jesus himself being our mediator, him being our great high priest, him mm -hmm. being our friend and brother. Yeah. It may still kind of be there in theory, but in reality, you've got your own local priest you have to kind of go through and get absolution from and so on. They're asking Mary to intercede for for them even at their death rather than Jesus being their intercession. And so what's happening, and this is what grieves me as I as I look on and as I say, I went through this period of, of finding the whole thing very attractive, but I um in the course of events, I went to um a, a nearby place for a meeting with other pro-lifers. Um I think I was the only evangelic in the room, the rest were Catholic. I believe a good number of them were born again, others I believe were not. Um, but it was the, the location of this meeting was was at Walsingham, which is um which, for those who don't know, is is basically an entire village that is essentially a shrine to Mary. Mm. Mm. And I just found it so bizarre and, I suppose, a bit nauseating mm. to see the, the 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 kind of the glory that is meant to be belong to Jesus, mm. and the worship and the adoration and the high esteem that's rightly His yeah. was being given to another, right. Mm. And I found that really upsetting and mm. and quite eye opening because again, what I had seen, what I generally see, to be honest with you, is the you could you could call it the sort of the the more attractive, the less problematic face of Catholicism, which is you mm. know friends of mine, some of whom I believe are born again, those I work alongside in some context within the pro life movement. But when you when you kind of actually step further into it and you see what else belongs within Roman Catholicism. You've got people literally praying to Mary mm. yeah. for their salvation mm -hmm. and saying, "Please, please pray for me again when I'm dying," because I'm, yeah. you know, this yeah. is serious. Yeah, this is, is about yeah. salvation. It's about Jesus, yeah. and and actually, that was a a, a, a sobering mm -hmm. uh, wake up call to see mm -hmm. what actually mm -hmm. is involved here in Roman Catholicism at large and just how significant that is. And we've come right back to where we started because this this is why that example you've given there is is exactly why 
I would want to have a very serious conversation, not not only about folk who it's more confusing that folk have have kind of become Catholic from evangelicalism more recently, but why remain? Why why in that context? Because Dave, I think what we're saying here is, and it struck me when you were just saying that, is that ultimately, and I know that this isn't carte blanche, you know, we're not being judgmental saying this is the case for it, but generally the difference between Catholicism um, and loving and following Jesus, our de- definition of discipleship, is is knowing him. Hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the it's that's the difference. It's knowing him or not. It's salvation or not. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what it looks like or sounds like or is reminiscent of. It's do you know Jesus? And if you know Jesus, just his name. It's just it's just the mention of his name is you know it's like honey on our lips, as the old song says. We were watching the you know the very popular BBC program the other day, ambulance, the award winning thing, and. It's very kind of like, you know, propaganda-esque at the moment with COVID and everything. But there was a moment when, this was just a week or two ago, do you remember, sweet? And, you know, the cameras are in, you know, sometimes in people's bedrooms who have just passed away. And there was this lady who had just mm. passed away. And the, I think it was the husband or the, the, or the family, the relative member anyway was there. The camera had panned in above the bed of the person who just died to this kind of venerated image of Mary. You know, and, and other images in the room, perhaps across here, there, or whatever. And but just this sense of hopelessness in that mm. moment, where mm. you've got this this image of Mary over the the deceased person's <laughs> the the place where eternity, you know, our world goes into eternity. That's just happened, mm-hmm. and you've got presiding over that this hope in Mary. It's like who can't help you at all. You know, it's it's like where does this even come from? Mm-hmm. Where does it even come from? And to then think, okay, well, let's remain in a Catholic position. It just does. It boggles my mind. I'm, I, I would really love us to um, finish on this thought about the lesser of two evils because I wanted to try and get people, and this is why I've been a bit tenacious with this. I want folk, all of us, to think about the future, the, the future of the church. I think that's really, really important to to start having a bigger vision of the future when it comes to what God wants to do and is going to do. He said he's going to do it. He will do it with regards to the faithfulness of the, of the church, the bride, mm. you know, and, and hence this thing of a lesser of two evils, it's not, that's not acceptable. It's not even close to being acceptable in terms of the way that Jesus was when he was on the earth. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't even begin to touch operating in that kind of realm or what have you. So if we're saying, and this is the conclusion, um, it's to really ask the question: What what's better than the lesser of two evils attitude um, that we've seen by some of these high profile evangelicals that we've alluded to? What what's better than that? Well, it's almost you could call it reformation again, couldn't you? I think we need. Yeah, we've talked mm-hmm. mostly today about problems with Catholicism, but evangelicalism as practiced today is 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 full of trouble. In fact, I could you could say it hardly exists in the way it's meant to. Um, can, I, can I chip in, Dave? Sorry, mm. Anne Widdicombe didn't understand that when I said that to her. I said, Anne, basically, our evangelicalism is is virtually meaningless today, and she didn't understand. <laughs> what? Mm. <laughs> she didn't understand. Um, mm. But I, I, th- I, even what you've just said there, I think that's important to drive that home. Is that there? Of course, there is. There is evangelicalism is pickled with problems, mm. yeah. ma- major problems. But those problems are fundamentally, and you could argue infinitely different 
to the problem with Catholicism. Yeah. We're, talk, we're talking about we're talking about um, religion. Let's use that word in its Puritan positive sense that needs reformation as opposed to yeah. false religion. That's the difference. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Or, or it's something that needs to be reinstated and restored. The the actual tenets of evangelicalism or or reformed religion, as as originally, um, you know, written up and and discerned prayerfully and and so on. That's what we need to return to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it the, the the reality is that functionally speaking, we just don't have that much anymore. So take for example the last eighteen months. How many people have actually wrestled with the scripture mm-hmm. to discern what's going on? How should we respond? Mm-hmm. It's been enough for people just to kind of wave an arm at Romans thirteen and say, "Well, I'm with X or whoever whoever the sort of evangelical Pope equivalent might be." And that's the end of the story. You can't get them to engage any more deeply mm-hmm. than that. That is not being reformed or evangelical or whatever, or Protestant, whatever the word is we want to use. That's mm-hmm. just behaving like, you know, in our, in our thinking, we're just behaving like any other religion. I take it from the, uh, you know, from the guy who's in charge. Yeah. Yeah, the, so true. I, I think in the 14th century thinking about John Wycliffe again and there was this and you just mentioned the recent 18 months or so and that question you've just asked there Dave I think is more significant than maybe some of us realise that who out of the you know in terms of the believers in the land how many people have stopped to do that um, in the, let me just give you a very brief history lesson everybody listening so in the mid 14th century we had John Wycliffe and again, very undervalued, underestimated part of the Reformation, um, particularly in England, obviously. Then in the early mid-16th century, you had the, you know, the, the reformers that are well-known, Luther and whoever else. Jump onto the early to mid-18th century, you've got George Whitfield. Within all of that reformatory period of history, you have this profound spiritual darkness and for John, and this is the difference, in Wycliffe's day, the spiritual darkness was because the word of God was locked up in Latin and, you know, people couldn't understand it. The average um, person on the on the street couldn't understand it. So there was this spiritual darkness because there was very little spoken of of the scriptures. Today, the spiritual darkness, in a sense, is thicker because post-Reformation, we've now got a whole bunch of stuff being talked about in terms of the scriptures and it's reduced everything to this smorgasbord of well essentially liberal progressivism mm. um but the, but the point is that in 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 that context of spiritual darkness was this black death in the mid 14th century you had that black death that killed something like 100,000 people in London and you know about half of the nation was killed by the black death and we're we're living in this world now where there's been something that's obviously not as severe as that. But nevertheless, the principle of judgment and, as you just said there, Dave, the only reason I'm saying all of that is because of this, um, the effect of that being that, that God would hope that there would be a, a stopping, a pausing, mm. a reflecting, a willingness to be, rad, you know, reconsider what radical is today. And when, when there's nothing radical about mm. what about mm. our, our everyday lives at the minute. Um, and I, I think that just strikes me, you know, going back to our, our thoughts in this recording today, you know, what is it about Catholicism that's attractive or Islam that's attractive? You know, 
I think we're, we're, we're created to be living differently when it comes to what it means to put our hand up every day to say we're a disciple um, in terms of a, the cost of that or the, the kind of heart change within all of that. And that's why this isn't just to do with calling out the fake religions, which, which Catholicism is. It's also looking at evangelicalism and orthodoxy as a whole and listening to podcast series like The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. It's the most important podcast potential that I've ever heard in terms of a, a kind of expose of the church at large. Um, oh, I don't know. That's all that to say is that there's a black death then and there's a black death now. It just looks, it looks quite mm-hmm. different. Mm-hmm. Should we pray? We've, uh, we've elapsed. I feel like I've just elapsed. <laughs> <laughs> Heavenly Father, we we come before you first and foremost, Lord. We we come as sinners saved by grace, wonderfully, um, by the blood of Jesus. And uh, we thank you for this glorious gospel. Yes, Lord. Lord, we thank you that you are the good news. We thank you that you, Lord, are our salvation. There's nothing we could do to bring about our salvation. There's no institution that you don't need any institution. You don't um, require the help of man as if our hands could do anything. We we prove again and again our hands can do nothing. And so Lord, we thank you that you have uh, intervened with your own mighty hand and outstretched arm. Mm. And uh, we thank you for the cross um, of Jesus. And Lord, we're, we uh, are grieved at how easily we forget um, your word, your promises, uh, who you are, Lord. We we treat lightly your grace, and uh, I don't think we'd be having this this whole conversation today if things weren't in a in a bad way in our nation and in our church. If mm. if if we were um, honouring you, Lord Jesus, if we were um, mm. honouring your word and treasuring um, our um, our place uh, before you, uh, the confidence with which we can come before the throne mm. of grace um, and speak with you. Mm. Um, if yeah. Moses could speak face to face as with a friend, how much more mm. we who know you now in this covenant, Lord, if we had not um, treated lightly those things, if we had cherished them, if we had held them close to our hearts, then I don't think the the church in this nation would be such that we would be looking, wanting to look elsewhere mm, okay. and being mm. drawn by um, institutional mm. Um, substitutes for mm. what it really is to to walk closely with you and to and to um, grow in sanctification and to be your people um mm. on earth here today so lord we we are grieved by mm. what we've become and for the state of things mm. now and lord we ask for your mercy mm. and lord we ask that you would once again um grant the gift of repentance yeah. mm. uh, lord we know in your word that part of your judgment on on your own people is that the prophets don't speak anymore and we're in a, a nation where the prophets aren't speaking. They're not being allowed to speak. They're, people don't want to hear 
and, and the prophetic voice has all but vanished in the church today, even with the wake-up calls of the last 18 months. And so, Lord, we're sorry, mm. and we ask, God, have mercy on us mm. and wake us up from our slumber mm. and um, convict us and um, bring us to our knees, whatever that might take, mm. Lord. Bring us to our knees mm. and um, remove every every idol, every mm. false hope, every crutch, Mm. Um, every um, pretense of security that we put around ourselves, Lord, and cast us upon yourself, Mm. Lord, that we would look once again to you alone, Mm. um, our hope and our salvation. So, Lord, come and uh, do a deep work in our hearts, Mm. we pray, and um, restore the glory of Mm. um, your church, Lord, we pray, um, in this land, that we wouldn't be a laughing stock amongst the nations. Um, but Lord, as we read in the book of Acts, people were terrified. Mm. No one dared join them mm. because the presence of the Lord was was powerful. Mm. And um, and so fear of the Lord gripped people and they, they, they wouldn't dare uh, look down on or mock what was going on because they could see, even if they didn't accept it mm. themselves, they could see and couldn't deny that the living God was present and so lord we long for that today mm. that, that that your presence would be undeniable mm. um, amongst your people in this yes, land lord. Yes, lord. and so we, we pray that you would mm. bring about a, a true repentance that would um, be the preparation ground for that mm. for you to dwell amongst your people in a way that we haven't seen mm. uh, for a long time in this land mm. and lord, we pray it for your glory we, we want to see yes. your name lifted high again yes. and honored um, amongst the Gentiles. So, Lord, come and do this for your glory's sake, for your name's sake, in the glorious name of Jesus. Amen. Lord, we just we want to say that you, you alone, are worthy of all praise yeah. and all worship. That there is no one else in heaven or on earth that deserves any glory. For any devotion of any kind, Lord, and we're just reminded today, just having this conversation of that is the the most important thing, that we are wholehearted worshippers of you, mm. that you alone, you alone are God, and that our lives are to be in worship of your glorious name, Father, and Lord, I just I do just pray for your your people in this country, Lord, your your church, your body, and just the mess that it has become. Mm. Lord, we we think about these truths today. We think about the power of them. We think about what you did for us through the cross. We think about these amazing, real truths. Um, and we're horrified to see what's happened in our nation, Lord. To see the way that we reject you and the way we speak about you and the way that we we have compromised in so many ways, Lord. So Father, I just I pray today the only thing that I feel we can pray is that mm. you would have mercy. Mm. Lord, that you would have mercy in this in this country, that you would have mercy on people 
that you would help us to to see and to hear and Lord that we would be wholehearted in our devotion Lord and just as we said we, we want more than anything to be devoted to you Lord that it is all these conversations all everything that we speak about Lord it is to the glory of your name it is not about any other purpose it is about your name being held high mm -hmm. Father so Lord we just we ask today we pray that you would just revive your people mm -hmm. I ask these things mm -hmm. in your name Jesus Amen Let's mm. get everybody to, to think about this question just as we finish today can we can we conceive and imagine a future church that is free from compromise of any form and as a result much more unified, active and fruitful as regards to abortion as just one example of, of Christian witness, as just one example of faithful mm. Christian witness. Lord Jesus, we just want to say to you that there's nothing like knowing you, that knowing you is is the reward um, knowing you Lord is is everything and forgive us for um, for, for losing sight of you of, of losing sight of the miracle of passing from death to life and so much crowds in on our thinking every day good things and bad things and neutral things but just to know you Lord to know you Jesus is there's nothing like it and we want to worship you now we want to exalt your holy name we want to love you more than we do we want to see you more than we do knowing you Lord knowing you there is no greater thing you're my all you're the best you're my joy my righteousness and I love you Lord we love you Jesus and we pray through the witness of this podcast that you would lead people into that saving knowledge of you. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Mm. Amen. Mm. Amen. Thanks everybody for listening to this episode of Into the Prayer. We trust that it's been a comfort and inspiration as well as perhaps a, a provocation towards the number one goal, which is faithfulness to the Lord Jesus. If you want to get involved with what we're doing, we've got a new way now of trying to encourage that more intentionally. Go ahead to the show notes and check out the link to the Patreon page that we've got up. Perhaps, perhaps it would be good for you to get involved in that, not just only for a financial um, contribution stroke commitment but also towards developing relationship we're open to that with people obviously within reason so go ahead check that out and until next week let's continue to pray Maranatha above all things come Lord Jesus <laughs>